Well, good morning. Am I in the house? There I am. It is great to have you with us. Uh, if you are watching online, thanks for being with us. We're glad that you're joining us. In March of 1985, I uh, finished raising my support with Campus Crusade, and I reported to my assignment. So I left Dallas and College Station, Texas, and moved out to Greeley, Colorado. Now, if I mention Colorado, what comes to mind? Mountains, yes. And I had come from Texas, which is as flat as this stage. And um, I got there on March 1st, and our spring break and our social events were around skiing. And I had never skied before, and so we would have these staff ski days. You have Fort Collins and Greeley and Boulder all together, and we'd go on a weekday, and we'd go out. Well, I started to learn to ski, and learn on greens is where you start. That's the easiest ones, and, and they're pretty, pretty tame. But then you go to the blue, and the blue is pretty steep. No moguls. It's groomed, but there's no moguls, and it's pretty steep. So, so when I would go down a blue, if, if this is the way I'd go, I'd, I'd go really slow this way, and I'd turn this way. And, and I took my time getting down the blue, because once you get going and you get going too fast, that's a problem. My younger had bro brother had told me, if you're going to fall, see if you can fall back, don't go over your skis, because that's a, that's a problem. And so I, I was very, very cautious. I, I really took regard for that counsel, but I, but I got more and more confident, and I started going more straight down. So we were on one of these staff ski days, so this was probably late April, so I'd been skiing two months, and I was feeling pretty good. I was feeling pretty confident what I could do, and, and I, I just disregarded that. And I, I mean, we are going, and we're going to go down this blue, and we're going to cut over to that one, and then we're going to go down th that blue. And at some point, I realized, oops, oops, I'm out of control. And, I, and I've disregarded that advice, and now I got problems. Well, well, how bad were the problems? Well, I'll tell you about that a little later in the sermon. But, you know, we are created by God. And he has set up a, a, a design, a direction, and he wants to control and empower our lives. And we have a choice. He gives us a choice. We can regard him or disregard him. He gives us autonomy. He gives us free will. And today I want to talk about what happens when we disregard God. So if you've got a Bible, if you would turn that to Exodus 6, we're going to start in verse 10, we're going to go all the way through chapter 6 and all the way through chapter 7, wrestling with this question, what's the problem? What is the problem with disregarding God? Now to set this up, uh, Israel, God chose Israel, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob as a people. Um, Jacob was third generation, he had a bunch of sons, they were jealous of one guy named Joseph, they left him, sold him in slavery, left him for dead. God, through a variety of events raised him up. Uh, he ended up interpreting the Pharaoh's dreams in Egypt and helped him plan for a famine. And, and the brothers thought he was dead. And in, in desperation, they came down from, to Egypt to get food, and they got reunited. And, and so the whole family, Jacob's family, the nation of Israel, came down to live in Egypt in an area named Goshen. As long as that Pharaoh was in charge, they were good because they had favor with him. But then he dies, and a new Pharaoh comes in, and and he views this foreign people with suspicion. And so he tries to work them to death. Then he puts in a plan of genocide. Hey, when you're a baby boy, just pitch him in the Nile. Um, a, a, a baby named Moses, we read about him, is born. 
to a variety of events. He gets raised, even though he's Jewish, descent, he gets raised in Pharaoh's home. At some point, he takes things into his own hands. He's an Egyptian um, beating a, a Jewish person and, and kills that person, and he's for, forced to flee, and he's, um, he's a sheep herder on the backside of a Midian desert. And, and God, after 40 years, calls him, and I said, I, I want you to lead my people out of slavery. And so he does that. He goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh turns up the heat. And he, he, he demands the same quota of bricks, but he takes their straw from them, and and the Jewish people are mad at Moses. They say, you know, you're supposed to lead us to freedom. And things have gotten worse. And, and may God judge you. That's how bad it was in, in Exodus 6. So that's where we pick it up. And so God is speaking to Moses in chapter 6, verse 10, uh, saying this. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the sons of Israel go out of this, his land. But Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. Remember the last time they told them, they, they, they said, God's judgment be upon you. How then will Pharaoh listen to me, for I am unskilled in speech? So Moses has got two gripes. Hey, the Jewish people aren't even listening to me. Why would Pharaoh listen to me? That's one. Two, I'm not very skilled in speech. Uh, verse 13, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron and gave them a charge to the sons of Israel and to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. I want you to go, and I want you to speak this word. Now, verses 14 through 27 are genealogy. It tells the history, and I'm not going to read all that through. But here's what you need to know in that genealogy. Moses and Aaron are born in the line of Levi. Later, when the Jewish people take the land, they, they will divide it up. But the tribe of Levi, they won't get any land because they are... Their responsibility is to serve the Lord as priests. And, and they will live off people's offerings that are given to the Lord. Moses is going to serve a priestly function. So even before God has designated the Levites to be his priest, uh, Moses is in that line. God, God's a God of detail. And so we pick it up again in verse 28. Now it came about on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I'm the Lord... Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak to you. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I'm unskilled in speech. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? Look, God, I'm not very eloquent. And this Pharaoh, like, he's, he's kind of all-powerful. He's leading the most powerful nation. I'm a sheep herder. Remember, that's what I've done for the last 40 years. I don't even have a college degree. How am I going to go speak to this guy? Verse, chapter 7, verse 1, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. So Moses, you're going to serve, represent me. You're going to be my uh, spokesperson, if you will. The, the, the spokesperson, the, the, the press secretary, speaks for the president when she speaks. She speaks with his, speak in his word. That's going to be, you're, you're going to serve that, and Aaron is going to speak for you, and you shall speak. All that I command you, your brother and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh, that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. Now, if you're not picking it up, let me spell it out for you. This is getting very personal between the king of kings and Pharaoh. Pharaoh, okay, he lives in a, a polytheistic culture. That means there's lots of gods. So you're telling me about the Lord. I, I'm not sure of all the gods, who he is. I, I can't figure him out. 
But more than that, I sure don't want someone telling me how to run my land. After all, I'm Pharaoh, king of Egypt. No one tells me what to do. Pharaoh's got clout. And he doesn't like somebody walking in, telling him what to do. And and the Jewish people, they're, they're really helping his bottom line. They're real cheap labor, and and they want him to serve his purposes. The Lord of the earth said, no, I've got another purpose for them, and I want them to serve me. And and that's a a, a who will they serve. Verses 3 and 4, God speaking. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgment. Verse 3. God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. So the the next few weeks, as we go through this, we're going to see three statements about Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. In one sense, it was God doing it. In the other sense, it was Pharaoh's choice. In the third sense, it was the circumstances doing it. So what's the relationship between all those three? Why are those three statements being intermixed? Because in one sense, it seems like it's, it's God doing it. In another sense, it seems like Pharaoh's the one hardening his heart. And the third, it's, it's circumstances. I would say this. They, they capture the relationship between the sovereignty of God and the free will of humanity. God is ultimately sovereign over all. And he's sovereign over Pharaoh and Pharaoh's personality and his decisions. But Pharaoh also has a free will and he's responsible for his choices. And those two work together in a way that I don't understand. God is infinite and we are finite. And how do you explain the sovereignty of God and the free will of humanity? If God's not sovereign, then he's out of control. He's not God. But if we don't have free will, then we're robots. How how can we be held responsible? This is a dilemma that the church has dealt with for 400 years, reconciling those two. And and there's there's different opinions on it. it. Now, we are very fortunate in North Point Community Church because we have somebody who can explain that perfectly. That is Daniel Park. He's our worship leader. He went to Moody Bible Institute, and he assures me that is the Harvard of all Bible institutes. So if, you, if you've got questions on that, you catch Daniel after the service, and he will explain that to you fully. So what's going on? Why is God working with Pharaoh? Why doesn't he just, bang, make it happen right now? Verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I'm the Lord, that I stretched out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. Now, look, the Egyptian people, they've grown up in a polytheistic culture. That means there's all kinds of God. There's a God, there's a sun God, there's a moon God, there's a river God, there's a this God, there's a that God. And it's really stressful because you've got to keep all the gods appeased and what do you do and what do you sacrifice and how much. And, 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 and that's what they've known. So God's going to take some time. He's going to work through the, the stubbornness of Pharaoh, the hard-heartedness of Pharaoh. And if, if the people of Egypt have any kind of intellectual honesty, they will step back and say, wait a minute. What is the current thing that's going on here? 
this God is bringing plagues seemingly at will. And it, it will get into it as there's going to be a series of ten. As we get later in the plagues, that they will, the whole of Egypt will be afflicted, but not the area in which the Jewish people are living. I mean, you're going to see livestock, and you're going to see pestilence, and, and people are going to suffer loss, but not, not the people of Israel. Be honest. What's going on here? If you've got any integrity, you'll say, this, this God is, is working through these people. Maybe I ought to talk to them about the God they're serving. God is not thumping his chest. He's not, look at me, look at me, celebrate me. He is making himself known, and that is what he is doing even in our day. Through his people. So, with that in mind, um, Moses and Aaron did it. As the Lord commanded them, thus they did. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Why does it matter who we serve? Isn't it just as long as you believe it's okay? Has anybody ever sprained their ankle badly? Man, it swells up and it gets discolored, and, and the treatment is you put ice on it, and you soak it. But I don't know, have you ever stuck your foot in a bucket of ice water? It's not very comfortable. It would feel better to stick your foot in some warm water, but that would do more damage to your already damaged ankle. What you do matters. Oh, if I believe if the warm water, if I believe enough, the warm water will help me. No, it won't. No, there's a street, a treatment prescribed for this when you first do it. And it is, we got a, we got a trainer right here. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Give me a minute. Okay. It matters what you believe and what you, if that's true about a treatment, how much more about God? And the God of the universe is saying to the people of Egypt, you're misled. You're looking at false cures. Let me show myself to you. So here we go. Pharaoh needs to be convinced. Now, verse 8. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, say, work a miracle. Then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and they did just as the Lord had commanded Aaron threw his staff down before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and sorcerers. And they also, and the magicians of Egypt, did the same thing with their secret arts. For each one of them threw down his staff, and they turned into a serpent. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. When I worked with Campus Crusade for years, there was a man named Andre Cole. Christian, he was an illusionist. And he would come and he would put on a show and then he would share the gospel from that. Before he would start, he said, everything you will see tonight is an illusion. And honestly, when you're from the, working from the stage, it looked like he was sawing people in two. It looked like he could walk on water. I mean, it was really convincing. But on the front end, 
And on the back end, he said, this is an illusion. This is not magic. I am doing a sleight of eye. And he was very skilled at it to make you think you're seeing something you're not. This, this is what's going on here. And these people may be illusion, tapping into some darker stuff. But God makes a statement at the end. Aaron's staff swallowed up all their staffs. Listen to verse 13. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. So there's, there's Pharaoh, here's, here's an opportunity. The serpents turn into staff, turn into serpents. The Aaron swallows up, but he's up. But second, verses 14, starting in verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. Hard-hearted, stubborn, interchangeable descriptions. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. See, he's going out to the water and station yourself to meet him on the bank of the Nile. And you shall take in your hand your staff that was turned into a serpent. You shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But behold, you have not listened until now. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the water that is in the Nile and with the staff that is in my hand, and it will be turned to blood. The fish that are in the Nile will die, and the Nile will become foul, and the Egyptians will find difficulty in drinking water from the Nile. Now, you need to know, one of Israel's, or Egypt's, not Israel, Egypt's greatest God was the God of the Nile. And what God is going to do over these series of ten plagues is systematically show I'm greater than every God you guys have conjured up. And this God of the Nile, he's going to be powerless because I'm going to turn the river to blood. And people are going to scramble for drinking water and they're going to have trouble finding fish to eat, a part of their diet. Verse 19, then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt over their rivers, over their streams, over their pools, and over the reservoirs of water, that they may become blood. And there will be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. So not only is the Nile going to be affected, all of Egypt is going to be affected. So, so Aaron and Moses, you need to believe that I can come through. So it's showtime, God. You've said this is what you're going to do. Are you good for it? So Moses and Aaron did even as the Lord had commanded. And he lifted up the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile. In the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants, all the water that was in the Nile was turned to blood. The fish that were in the Nile died, and the Nile became foul, so the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile, and the blood was through all the land of Egypt. That's quite a show. That's quite a demonstration. But the magicians of Egypt did the same with their secret arts. Here we go. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. We're going to hear that phrase in one way or another throughout this passage. And he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then Pharaoh turned and went into his house with no concern even for this. He's looking for a reason not to believe. They worked a little bit of magic arts and I'm good. And he turns his back on it. Meanwhile, look what's going on. So all the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the Nile. Seven days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Yeah, Pharaoh, you probably go into your house, and you probably got a supply of water. But your people, they don't. 
They got to go digging for water. They got to go looking for water. And, and their supply of fish that I'm sure supplemented their diet, that's gone. Do you care about your people? Apparently not. Because after all, you are Pharaoh. No one is going to tell you what to do. You're not going to bow the knee to anyone, and certainly this God that you're just starting to hear about, even though he's showing his stuff. Pharaoh's stubbornness is starting, and we're just starting, to cost the people of Egypt. It will eventually cost him. What's at issue here? Whether or not Pharaoh will regard the Lord. He's choosing to disregard him. And what are we seeing? We're seeing the beginning of the judgment of God. And we will see this play out over the next few chapters. But I think there's a lesson for that because you and I are tempted. We look at Pharaoh, we shake our head and go, no, 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 no. We're, we're not that different. We got autonomy. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. So the lesson of Pharaoh is our lesson. What's the problem when we disregard God? Disregarding God brings the judgment of God. Disregarding God brings the judgment of God. Now, some of us here, you know, we, we, we will admit to it, yeah, yeah, I'm a little, yeah, I'm a little stubborn, it's not good, but, but secretly down inside, we're, we're kind of proud of our stubbornness, right? I mean, no, no one tells us what to do, no one tells us what to do. I mean, we listen to God when we want to, and when people might be speaking to us through God or just through life circumstances, it's kind of like, no, 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 <laughs> I'm kind of, Do you know our stubbornness will not only cost us, but it will cost people who are close to us? Our stubbornness will cost our friends and family because no one's going to tell us what to do. Can Look, God wrote the Word of God for our well-being. He doesn't want to cast it. Thing on thumb. He doesn't want to thump his chest. He wants us to learn. And if you think that you and I don't have Pharaoh's characteristics and tendencies, think again. Think again. By nature, we're stubborn. No one's going to tell us what to do. And man, we're in the land of the free, aren't we? No one. We got, we got freedom. Certainly in America, no one tells us what to do. Careful. Our disregard for God, i.e. our stubbornness, our hard-heartedness, it will cost us. Trust me, this will cost Pharaoh. This will cost Pharaoh. He, remember, he didn't want to let these people go because it's a lot of money. It's a lot of free labor. He, he would have been, from a financial point of view, he would have been a lot better off letting these people go. He's going to let his nation lose livestock. He's going to lose crops. He's going to lose stuff. But, but it's worse than that. Death 
is going to come right into Pharaoh's home and he's going to be powerless to stop it because he messed with the wrong God. And the people he's supposed to be watching over, they're going to suffer too. Here's the principle. We disregard God, we bring the judgment of God. Let me tell you who flipped this principle. His name was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Eternity passed. Father, Son, and Spirit decided Jesus would come. And he would be on um, earth 30 years, and then he would go into public ministry three. And he would completely regard the Father. He would do everything the Father says. There was no stubbornness. There was submissiveness in his heart. He was broken before the Father. You know what he got for that? He got judgment. Not that he deserved it, but that that we deserved. He took the judgment we deserved for our disregarding God, our stubbornness before God. And he, he regarded the Father right up to the point He walked into Jerusalem on a Sunday knowing that on a Friday he would be nailed to a cross. In five days the crowd turned on him. He's in a mockery of a trial. He was whipped. He was spit on. He was spit upon. And he was eventually nailed to a cross. But he rose again. Why? Because you and I disregard God. No one tells us what to do. And because of that, sin... We deserve an eternal separation from God. Jesus died. Boy, if you've never trusted Christ, I want to invite you to do that now. Hey, we're not that different from Pharaoh in our nature. We're not. But if you'll trust Christ, he'll forgive your sin, the penalty for your rebellion. And he'll restore your heart that you can begin to trust this God who is good and gracious and merciful and full of loving kindness, that you will begin the process of submitting to him. And over the course of a lifetime, you will grow. And ultimately, when you die and meet Jesus face to face, you will live in full submission to him. You haven't made the decision. I invite you to do that right now. If you push back, resisting, understand your stubbornness is only going to cost you. It's going to cost people around you, people you love. They will suffer the consequence for that stubbornness. So let me go back to my skiing expedition. So I'm flying along. We're down one blue, and we're going to cut over to another, and we're going to go down that one. And somewhere in that cutoff, we get a little bumpy, and I realize I'm out of control. And, and I've disregarded what my younger brother said. I've let my speed get up, and, I, and, and then it's kind of like, oh, my. And the next thing I know, I'm flying. And I, I'm realizing this is not good. And I come down with my elbow here, and I come down on my arm, and I knock the wind out of me, and I think, did I break my arm? No, I didn't. God was gracious. I, I, I didn't. But I look back, and my skis were straight up, straight up in the snow. And I had gone about 15 feet. Okay, I, I survived it, but I learned a lesson. I, I need to, again, regard... What my younger brother has said, watch your speed so you don't get over your skis. God is gracious in his judgment. He doesn't dump the truck. He doesn't come after you with anything. But some of us, we're living in stubbornness, and God is 
slowly showing you need to turn. Pharaoh's getting that opportunity, but he's turning his back and he's going inside. Where are you? Are you resisting? Are you disregarding God? Because if you are, understand it. You're, you're stepping into a zone where you're out of control and the consequences are such that you rest the judgment of God. You don't want to go there. I learned from my little flying lesson when I skied. I slow down. Maybe it's time for you to say, I need again to, to regard the Lord. And I need Jesus again with his spirit to work in my heart so I gladly embrace the goodness that is shown in the gospel. We disregard the Lord. We bring the judgment of the Lord. Jesus came so we didn't have to live that way. We're going to move to a time of communion now. So if you've got a little communion cup, I invite you to pull that out. If you missed it, someone can get it in back. Uh, let me tell you what we're doing and we're not doing. We are, um, we don't believe this becomes the literal body and blood of Jesus. Rather, we um, think that this is a symbol. Um, the bread symbolic of his body and the blood, uh, the, the juice symbolic of his blood. Right before he went to the cross in Matthew 26, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Matthew 26, verse 26 says this, While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. So I invite you to take that first part off, that wafer, and take that wafer and eat. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Uh, we remember you. We commemorate you. For your body was broken for us. Um, we confess uh, we're not that different than Pharaoh. We've got the same kind of stubbornness, the same kind of resistance, the same kind of hard-heartedness, and no one's going to show us, no one's going to control us, and we rebel against you. Forgive us for that. And Jesus, we understand that, that you lived the life we're supposed to live in complete submission to the Father. You did not deserve the cross, but you took the cross for us. Thank you, Jesus. Um, and would you make us people who are soft-hearted, not hard-hearted toward God? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And then Jesus continued in Matthew 26. Starting in verse 27, it says, When he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I invite you to take and to drink. Jesus, we understand that when those nails went in, you're, you're, uh, you bled, just like uh, we would believe. And you, when you were whipped and, and your skin was broken on your back, you bled. And when that crown of thorns was brought, you bled. And, th and that blood cleanses us from our sin, from our rebellion. And Lord, our stubbornness, our hard-heartedness, honestly, it's been pretty ugly sometimes. The consequences have been pretty ugly. Uh, but you've cleansed all that 
on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that your blood cleanses us from our sin. We honor you. We lift you up, and we remember you in this moment. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.